Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to episode 122 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. I've got some news this week, some really exciting news about a talk I'm giving in Camden, London on Tuesday the 26th of March. Alongside best-selling author Geoffrey Wansell, I'll be talking all things serial killers. Please find the link to buy tickets on the show notes or on my website here at uktruecrime.com. The event is from 6 in the evening till 8 with time for Q&A as well, but there's plenty of time for a beer or nine in the bar afterwards if you are able to come along. It'd be really, really good to see you there. And before we begin today, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That's Glyn Jones, Anna Bond, Tim Blank for increasing his contribution, and with apologies for the pronunciation, Biani Begovin Willihamson. Thank you so much for your support, which is so much appreciated. In our society, we are quick to label people. Podcasting genius, just for example. (laughs) But of course, there are many facets to our personalities through life. And even the worst serial killers are husbands, wives, friends, who are sometimes fun to be with and enjoy hobbies away from murder. If only there was a talk in London this month to explore that theme further. In today's story, I will look at this kind of case. But before we begin, let's set a little context by checking out the music we were listening to at the end of this story in February 1988. Number one was One Hit Wonder Tiffany with I Think We're Alone Now, keeping Kylie with I Should Be So Lucky from the top spot. In the US was the classic from NXS, Need You Tonight. I love that song. And I don't know about you, but Michael Hutchins, he was my sort of rock star. In Excess topped the album charts in Australia in 1988, keeping the soundtrack from Dirty Dancing from the top spot. In the news this month, the Winter Olympics opened in Calgary in Canada, and after his liking for buying the services of sex workers came to light, televangelist Jimmy Swaggart tearfully confessed his so-called sins to his congregation. Ten years later, when caught with another sex worker, his view was slightly different, telling his followers... The Lord told me that it's flat none of your business. But fair play to him, Jimmy's still going strong today. In the UK, the first BBC Red Nose Day with Lenny and the gang raised £15 million for charity. And in UK true crime news, multiple rapist and murderer John Duffy was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that he should never be released. Today's story comes from Blackpool a city of around 130,000 people, which lies approximately 30 miles north of Liverpool. Known for its sands, tower and pleasure beach, Blackpool is an entertainment centre that has been referenced in numerous songs, including in 1937, cheeky chappy George Formby's song With My Little Stick of Blackpool Rock, which was banned by the BBC for having suggestive lyrics. Now, if you don't get out much, 
Take a look at some of the large number of songs banned by the BBC over the years. It's quite startling. In 1977, Catherine Weaver moved into a rest home in Blackpool due to illness. Petite at just five foot, Catherine was suffering from cancer and that dreadful disease had reduced her to just six stone. Catherine, or Kitty, as she was known to her friends, was originally from Rochdale, a place close to the heart of all of us for its sauna culture. But Kitty had spent most of her life in Blackpool. Whilst working at a family rock-making factory in Henry Street on South Shore, she dated Ronnie Weaver, one of four Weaver brothers whose family owned the company. Ronnie and Kitty soon married, and both later worked for Telefusion, living happily for a number of years in a flat above one of the firm's shops in Bond Street, again, South Shore Blackpool. The couple never had children, and Ronnie died in 1969. A quiet lady who very much kept herself to herself and enjoyed her own company, Kitty didn't remarry. And tragically, within 10 years of her husband's death, Kitty was murdered. It was the morning of Tuesday, January the 31st, 1978, that the body of 64-year-old widow, Catherine Weaver, was found in the kitchen at the Nook Rest Home on 7th Avenue in South Shore Blackpool. Detective Chief Superintendent Wilf Brooks, then head of Lancashire CID, took charge of the investigation and an army of detectives began the hunt for the killer. Wilf revealed that Kitty was found in the kitchen, dead from stab wounds, two in the back and one in the chest. She'd been stabbed with a nine-inch vegetable knife that was found near the body. A length of clothesline had been cut from outside by the intruder and used to tie her up. It is probable that the killer took Kitty from her room and killed her in the kitchen with detectives suspecting the murder was a sexual attack rather than burglary. Kitty, who slept downstairs, was heard to scream at 5.10am, but the witness who heard her thought nothing of it and assumed she was having a nightmare. Would you have reacted in the same way or would you have investigated? I wonder. No theft was evident from the property, not the kind of theft you may expect. What was taken was a pair of household rubber gloves, although quite why anyone would want to steal these gloves is a bit of a mystery. Detectives got lucky. On Thursday the 2nd of February, three clues were found in Watson Road Park, Blackpool, that all appeared related to the crime. There was a knife, a cap comforter, and pink rubber household gloves, like the ones which were taken from the Nook Rest Home. Just in case you were wondering what a cap comforter is, I was. It can be used as a scarf or folded into a woolen headpiece. But most importantly for this case, it could also be used as a mask and they were used in the armed services. So was the culprit someone from the army? Detectives suspected it could have been someone based at the nearby army camp at Wheaton. But still, there were no clear named suspects. Almost 13,000 people were interviewed in the six months following Kitty's murder. Police took 1,600 statements and 1,700 sets of fingerprints. Under severe pressure, as he was responsible for the only murder in Blackpool that hadn't been solved, Superintendent Wilf Brooks told an inquest in June 1978 that 3,000 men between the ages of 14 and 50 had been seen. But still there were no apparent leads, and Kitty's murderer remained a free man and would remain so for another 10 years. It was the 26th of January 1988, 
when the partially clothed body of Gabrielle Morris was found dead in the lounge of her guest house on the seafront in Blackpool. The cause of death was a stab wound to her back, but there were some 38 minor cuts and bruises, including injuries to her breasts. She suffered horrific injuries to her head, and it was clear that she'd been trying desperately to fight off her attacker, and there was also evidence she'd been sexually assaulted. Gabrielle Morris was always known as Betty. As well as running a small guest house, she made costumes for children's plays, and she'd also made costumes for the showgirls who appeared in the big Blackpool shows. There was a sense of sadness about Betty, and it was thought that she had married once, but the marriage had only lasted a week. The real love of her life had been a Polish man from the Air Force, but sadly he died during the war. Betty preferred her own company, and some felt she was eccentric in her behaviour. But she enjoyed her life, although the quality of life had declined since a disturbing incident 14 years previously. Betty had been in bed when she was confronted by a masked man brandishing a hammer and carrying a knife and a length of washing line. He held a knife to her throat, then hit her with a hammer, luckily not causing any major injury. The intruder didn't speak throughout the whole ordeal, which detectives believed was sexually motivated. Betty had the presence of mind to offer her attacker £300 in cash, but somewhat bizarrely, he just took £100. At one stage, one of her hands was tied with a washing line, but quite what happened is unclear, as Betty kept drifting in and out of consciousness during her ordeal. After the episode, Betty became ever more eccentric, and she became obsessed with security. She carried a large bunch of keys and she looked at men at the tram stop opposite her guest house with binoculars and rang up the police if she found any of them to look suspicious. Betty was going deaf and as she got older she became increasingly isolated. Detectives investigating Betty's death were immediately very aware of the clear similarities with the Ketty Weaver murder. It was an older lady, a washing line was used, there was a sexual motive and Betty was stabbed. Detective Superintendent Jack Ashton, who led the investigation into the murder, sealed off the guest house as the crime experts searched for clues. And they got lucky when a clear thumbprint was found in the kitchen. These fingerprints matched ex-cabbie and local petty criminal Michael Downs, who was arrested and quickly confessed to murdering both Kitty and Betty. In his early 40s, Michael Downs was a local Blackpool man. His parents were respected in the local community as hard-working and decent people, with his mum looking after the children whilst his dad worked as a local butcher. He was described by teachers as dishonest and not very clever, and he was on probation when he was 11 and later sent to an approved school for burglary and arson. Michael Downs joined the army as soon as he could and in 1962 was serving in Libya. When home, aged 17, he risked his life to rescue a 67-year-old Blackpool man, James Tweedle, from a very rough sea at Blackpool. Sadly, James Tweedle died in the ambulance on the way to hospital, but Downs showed extreme bravery to enter the sea. For this act, he became the youngest person in the British Army to receive the British Empire Medal for Gallantry. It was seen as such a big deal that his parents were flown to Tripoli to see him receive his award, with his mum saying it was the proudest moment of her life. But sadly, this glory was not to last very long, and within a couple of years, 
Downs had been caught stealing. And then it got worse, much, much worse, when he killed a local taxi driver in Libya. The details are hard to find, but what is shocking is the sentence he received after being found guilty of manslaughter, which was only six months' detention. But this event signalled the end of his time in the army, and he returned home to Blackpool, where in 1967, Michael married Linda. They'd met playing snooker at the Farmer's Arms pub, and their marriage lasted 10 years, producing two sons and a daughter. It ended when in 1977, Downs was sent to the slammer for 18 months of burglary, and while he was in prison, Linda became pregnant by another man. Strangely, for a man not adverse to violence, he took the news about Linda relatively well, and the two stayed friends. The local work that Michael was able to secure following his release was mainly driving. He worked for a laundry company, and later a taxi firm. While he was a driver for the laundry company, he visited the nursing home in 7th Avenue, where Kitty Weaver was to die, and the guest house at Queen's Promenade in Little Bishpam, home of Betty Davis. In 1978, Catherine Weaver was killed shortly after Downs release from prison and his separation from Linda. And it transpired that Downs killed Betty Morris 14 years after he'd first attacked her. Yeah, that's right. He was responsible for the other attack too. Michael Downs already knew Betty because he took laundry from her guest house. She did not recognise him during the attack because he was wearing a mask and he didn't speak. So for those 14 intervening years, had he been planning to kill her? Detectives traced Michael Downs' movements on the day that he murdered Betty Morris. His girlfriend, V. Richard, whom he met via CB radio, had told him that the relationship was over. Downs drove to see his former wife, where he had a cup of tea. He had hoped to see his son, but he wasn't there. And then Michael drove to Queen's Promenade and assaulted and murdered Betty Morris. One detective attached to the case would later comment, He had a kink about elderly women. When something upset him, his mind entered a dark place. He got drunk and sought sexual gratification in the senseless killings. But detectives quickly realised they'd missed an opportunity to catch Downs earlier. On the evening of May 3rd, 1980, in Blackpool, Hilda Keith, aged 64, saw an intruder breaking into her house using a glass cutter. She shouted out for help, but the man continued to climb into the house. Upstairs, her 87-year-old mum shouted hysterically, to attract the attention of a neighbour, and the intruder fled, leaving behind pieces of washing line. Hilda Keith was able to provide a very accurate description of the intruder, but it would be another eight years before he was caught. It was now that classic police work came to play, where an officer just knows something is wrong, based on their experience and intuition. Local PC Dave Milner became particularly interested in the Hilda Keith intruder, and visited Hilda and her mum regularly. He knew that washing line was cut by the man, and this matched the murder of Kitty Weaver, and he hoped to be able to resolve both crimes. It was on one visit that Hilda Keith said it was surprising that the intruder could not be found because when he entered the house he was wearing a rather distinctive green coat. This came as a surprise to PC Milner, as this detail was not present in Hilda's statement. Hilda continued that she had more recently seen the intruder again 
in nearby Livam Road wearing the green coat. So when he had free time, PC Milner kept a lookout for the man in the green coat and he eventually spotted a man matching that description crossing the railway line at Livam Road. It was Michael Downs and he was questioned but claimed he did not even know the road where Hilda lived which was highly unlikely as he lived in the next street. A search of his flats revealed glass cutters and knives. Downs continued to insist he knew nothing of the break-in and also of his own volition he denied the murder of Catherine Weaver. PC Milner remained suspicious and put his suspicions on record but there wasn't enough to charge Downs with any offence. Interestingly, at this stage, officers were not aware that Downs had already killed a man in Tripoli. Although he was initially questioned as part of the Kitty Weaver murder investigation, would it have made a difference if they'd known that he'd already shown himself capable of murder? At his trial, Michael Downs pleaded not guilty to two murder charges, but admitted manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. In 1989, the jury at Manchester Crown Court returned after 50 minutes with guilty verdicts that he murdered both women. The judge made a recommendation that he should serve at least 25 years in prison. Downs was described by a psychiatrist as an extremely dangerous man. The petty thief was described as being like a time bomb triggered by upsets in his life. He had struck after the breakup of his marriage. He killed again after a double blow. When he got the sack, days after being told his relationship with girlfriend Dee Pritchard was over. Psychiatrists went on to say he had a profound hatred of women. And the judge, Mr Justice Kennedy, said, you'll be little short of 70 by the time this recommendation is fulfilled, by which time one must hope the fire is burnt out and your wickedness is controllable. If we go back to the start of the podcast, when we talked about serial killers not being serial killers 24-7. Downs was really into his CB radio at one time. Depending on your age, you may not remember just how big this craze was. It was kind of like the tinder of its time for some, and Downs did meet women in this way. One of whom was his ex-girlfriend, Dee Pritchard. Even after his conviction, she said he was great company, and she recalled him as an ideal partner who she would happily have married if it were not for his heavy drinking. He stayed with another couple for a few months and they recalled him with parental affection. They insisted that they would visit him in prison and that they'd never detected any sign of anger or violence. He had a wide circle of friends and he was really well liked in the community. Look, even his ex-wife said he was a conscientious father and remained close friends with her. After his conviction, he was devastated by the drugs-related death of his daughter Tracy. He sent a message to the Blackpool Gazette in 1997 from his cell at Wakefield, calling for justice for his daughter. Down's case was looked at by the High Court in 2005 as part of a review of hundreds of life sentences passed in the UK under the Human Rights Act. But the judge, Mr Justice Smith, said his minimum sentence should not be reduced. Then in 2007, Michael Downs made the news again, when his medal from his stint in the army was sold. The medal was sold by London auctioneers Dix Noonan Webb for £2,470. It had been expected to fetch around £600 to £800. 
The auctioneers refused to disclose who sold the medal or the name of the buyer. So what do you make of what you've heard today about the serial killer from Blackpool? An everyday type of guy, it sounds like, who when he was upset and under stress, appeared to get drunk and then sexually attack and murder elderly women. These attacks all seem to happen around his birthday too, which I guess is just a coincidence. Robberies on pensioners are common, as they are easier victims unlikely to fight back. But sexual attacks? A brief search shows it's not an isolated case with numerous sexual attacks on innocent pensioners, although thankfully most aren't murdered, although some are so horribly affected they die of their injuries and shock. One case I looked at of Michael Roberts is a particularly upsetting story with a large number of attacks on elderly women over a prolonged period of time. At his trial, the QC outlined the situation of his victims, saying they were all single, vulnerable victims who had difficulty walking. They all lived alone in ground floor apartments. The knowledge demonstrated by the person who committed these offences, the state of loneliness and confidence that no one would be returning to the premises, demonstrated that this attacker clearly knew their every move. One was even attacked as she let her cat out for the evening. Just sickening, isn't it? And we can see the similarity with Downs, who knew his victims and knew they would struggle to fight back. Michael Roberts, I'm pleased to say, got life for his offences, with the judge saying, I do sentence you to imprisonment for the rest of your natural life. Your utter depravity knows no bounds. These are very grave offences. Hard to argue with that. Check him out, The Beast of Bermondsey. It's just the worst, worst story. So back to the Michael Downs story. I still keep coming back to the original attack on Betty 14 years before he killed her. Was it exciting for him, knowing that she knew him? What about all the times he saw her after the attack? Was he aroused? Was it a sexual thing? Had he been planning it for 14 years? In his fantasies, did he know that eventually one day he was going to go back and finish her? Sadly, all these questions that can never be answered. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please head to the Facebook group to discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime. Also head to Facebook to buy tickets for my show with Geoffrey Wansall on the 26th of March. And please do try and come along. It'll be a lot of fun. To support this show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime where you can listen to 26 full-length bonus episodes as well as other exclusive content. So that is all from me for now. I'm now off to try and find another story that has some reference to Rochdale for obvious reasons. So until we speak again next week, get that full-length towel in your special bag and try to stay classy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.